We're turning to the Old Testament tonight, and we're going to one portion of Scripture, and we're staying there. The last two couple of nights we're preaching on subjects. You've been very good turning with me from one portion to another, but tonight we're just focusing on one chapter, Second Samuel, chapter seventeen. Second Samuel, chapter seventeen. I want you to open your Bible there and I want you then to give me your attention. We will be turning to the Word uh, and holding on to this chapter uh, tonight. I don't know if you know the statistics or not, but one million people kill themselves around the world each year. 7,000 yearly in Great Britain and 360 in Northern Ireland, one per day. Now, like my previous messages on sodomy and on abortion, it's my task tonight, and it's not a very pleasant one, but we, the watchmen and servants of God, don't choose what we preach on, or we shouldn't. And my topic tonight is what the Bible says about suicide. And I understand tonight that there'll be, uh, uh, there'll be unleashed upon us uh, the powers of hell. Because there is a demon of suicide. As there are demons of many things in these last days. There's a suicidal demonic power uh, that's uh, around us and we need to recognize that and realize that and we need as the people of God to address that. The taking of one's own life at one's own hand is nothing new. It's as old as sin itself. Uh, Statistics are rising sharply and of course we know the reason for that because Jesus said coming near the end of the age that men's hearts would fail them because of fear. And there's a great fear out there even tonight. Non-religious groups uh, in the field of psychology are conjecturing that coronary and suicides will be the main causes of death in the 20s. And uh, they are not speaking from biblical perspectives at all. There are seven recorded suicides in the Bible. And each one of us is written for us to meditate upon. And for your information tonight, I'm going to list them in order and then I'm going to lift one out for our subject this evening. And if you want to get the CD of this, it will be made available to you. First one, Abimelech in Judges 9, Samson, Judges 16, King Saul in 1 Samuel 31, Saul's armor bearer. 1 Samuel 31, 
Ahithophel, 2 Samuel 17, Zimri, 1 Kings and 16, and Judas Iscariot in Matthew 27, Luke 23, and Acts chapter 1. All men, three of them died by the sword. Today it probably would be firearms. Two hung themselves. The rope was no new way of committing suicide. One set fire to himself and one pulled the roof down upon him. They're not pleasant studying, but all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for reproof and rebuke and correction and instruction and for our learning. And statistics, and if you read over the suicides even of the past month that you hear about, they're not pleasant reading. The late Edward Foster said, unless we look at the past, we can't understand the future. We can't go back then much further than to the Old Testament scriptures of Judges, Samuel, and Kings. We're going to lift out one of these men tonight and search and reach into his heart and find out why he took the course of action that he did. And can I say that the reason and the motives for each one of these biblical suicides is apparent and is disclosed for us if we read them carefully in the Scripture. And what triggered them off is triggering many off today, for there's nothing new under the sun. Now, if, before I open up on this man here, can, can I say to anybody listening or watching who has lost a loved one in these circumstances and you're suffering the horrendous consequences, my heart, and God knows my heart, it goes out to you. Because most of us, thank God, know nothing about what you're going through. Every suicide, it reckons, leaves behind at least six to ten immediate survivors, as they are called. It's not only the, the, the victim that we need to be sorry for, it's the, those that are left to cope and to gather up the pieces. The level of stress and anger and grief and guilt and despair and shame with husbands and wives and children and parents, grandparents, is phenomenal. And they need all the love and support that we can give them. One psychologist said suicide carries with it an aftermath of sorrow and confusion that cannot be described and in many cases cannot be answered. And how true that is. It throws a whole raft of questions to the ones left behind. Questions like, could I have prevented it? Was I to blame for it? Did I do enough? If only I'd been there. And so many, many more questions. Now this man that we're after tonight, his name is Ahithophel. 
Ahithophel. And we're going to see him in life. And we're going to see him in death. Because I have chosen him tonight because he's a microcosm and a blueprint and an example and a pattern that emerges and manifests itself in the modern, many modern day suicides. Now before we look at why and how and when and where he did this, let me say something to you about his CV, bringing it into modern terms. This man, and you're going to see this in a moment, he had a profile that was exceptional. He had a profile that was exceptional. He had no mental underlying problems whatsoever. And many who commit suicide haven't. He was second in command to the great King David. In fact, he's described as the king's counselor. And from the moment that David was crowned king at Hebron until he was dethroned by Absalom that we're going to read about, he was his deputy, he was his number one man. The prime minister, if you like. David called him his own familiar friend. It seems that once Jonathan went, that this man filled Jonathan's place in David's life. There was a bond that was knitted together between them. And if you read his story, and if you get a concordance, you, you'll get his name, and you'll, there's not all that much said about him in the Scripture, but if you read his story, it's unlikely that David could have run the kingdom without him. In Psalm 55, he refers to him, and he said he was a man mine equal, my guide, my acquaintance, we took sweet counsel together and walked into the house of God. Psalm 41, another psalm. Mine, he is mine own familiar friend whom I trusted. Plus this Ahithophel son, Eli, was one of David's mighty men. And so the, the whole family was loyalistic stalwarts to the kingdom of David. Alexander White said there was not one military decision made, not one war started, not one peace treaty signed, not one demoted or promoted in the Davidic government without being sanctioned by a Hithophel. In other words, he ran the show. If you look at the last verse of chapter 16, you're opened at 2 Samuel 17, if you look at the last verse of chapter 16, it sums up all I'm saying. Listen, watch what it says. And the counsel of Ahithophel, which he counseled in those days, was as if a man had inquired at the oracles of God, so was all the counsel of Ahithophel, both with David and with his son Absalom. Now notice that we word in verse 16 that says, as if his words were from the Lord. Now it's quite possible that he had psychic powers that were not of the Lord. And everything he conjectured and everything that he forecasted came to pass. That's why he was so important to David. You see, there are psychic powers. There are demonic powers 
There are devilish powers that can tell things and work things. Because even in these last days especially, the spirit of the Antichrist is working. And things that you think to be of God are not of God at all. And it takes a discerning spirit and a praying man and woman to know what's of God and what's not of God. Once Absalom's, once David's spoiled son Absalom made a bid for power to dethrone and to kill his father, Absalom managed to persuade and cajole this man, Ahithophel, this top man in the government, over onto his side. Again, Alexander White said he was worth a thousand men to to, to Absalom. This was probably one of the greatest blows that struck David and his ministry. Because you know the story, and we haven't time to go into it tonight, but with a handful of supporters, at 60 years of age, Absalom, his son, tried to murder him and dethroned him from the throne of Jerusalem. And the scripture says that David fled, leaving all his possessions behind him. He came barefoot over the Kidron Valley, went up the Mount of Olives, his feet burning in the sand, his head covered in sackcloth and ashes. And as he was going up the mountain, fleeing, weeping, burdened, dethroned because of a spoiled son, as he was going up that mountain, one caught up with David, and here's what they said to David. David Ahithophel is among the conspirators with Absalom. And David, knowing the potential and the power that this man had, David prayed. Weeping, crying, he prayed unto God, and here's the prayer he prayed. He said, O Lord, turn the counsel of Ahithophel into foolishness. What an awesome prayer that was, and you'll be hearing much about it at the moment. Clasp your eyes now on chapter 17 and on verse 1. These are Bible studies. This is the teaching of the Word. And that's what you come for, and that's what you'll get when you come here. This is the Word of God. It's not what I say. It's what God's Word says. So here we have brought you right up into the context, and here we have in verse 1 of 17... Moreover, Ahithophel said unto Absalom, Let me now choose out twelve thousand men. Now notice the eyes here. And I will arise and pursue after David this night. And I will come upon him while he is weary and weak-handed. And will make him afraid. And all the people that are with him shall flee, and I will smite the king only, and I will bring back all the people unto thee. The man whom thou seekest as it have all returned, so all the people shall be in peace. Now let me stop there. Do you notice the eyes? This man is looking for glory and he's looking for power. And he says, I'll go right for David. I'll go to the head. I'll smite the shepherd and the sheep will scatter. 
And you know, every one of them agreed with what he said. Verse 4, And all the saying pleased Absalom well, and all the all of Israel, all and every one of the elders of Israel, it pleased them well. The whole cabinet, the whole government said amen to what this man said. They were unanimous. And if they would have listened to him and went that night at that moment, the whole thing would have been over in a couple of hours. But something happened here, and here's where I'm going to teach you things tonight. Something happened here. David, for some reason, look at what he did in verse 5. Then said Absalom, call now Hushai, the archite also, and let us hear likewise what he saith. And when Hushai was come to Absalom, Absalom spake unto him, saying, Ahithophel has spoken after this manner. Shall we do after his saying, if not speak thou? And Hushai said unto Absalom, The counsel that Ahithophel has given is not good at this time. Now listen to me. This insignificant low-ranking official was heeded over the whole government, over the whole cabinet, over every one of them. And look at verse 14. And Absalom and all the men of Israel said, The counsel of Ahushai, the hearted, is better than the counsel of Ahithophel, for the Lord had appointed defeat the good counsel of Ahithophel, to the intent that the Lord might bring evil upon Absalom. Now, some scholars tell us that the moment that David turned to this fellow Hushai, after having the complete backing of the whole government, that that was the moment that David cried on the mountain when he was going up the mountain, O Lord, turn the foolishness, the counsel of Ahithophel into foolishness. You know, friend, that gives me great encouragement. That gives me great confidence that God answers desperate prayer, even in governments, even in high places. God hears prayer, and God answers prayer. And as David's weeping as he went, covered in sackcloth, cries, he knows what sort of a man Ahithophel is. He's with him all his days. He says, Lord, turn the counsel of Ahithophel, turn it into foolishness. And they say at that moment, at that moment Absalom went to see Hushai. For some reason other than that, we don't know that he went other than the hand of God. You see, my friend, the heart of the king is in the hand of God. And we can't do what we like when we like. When we have a God like this and when we have prayer like this, God answers prayer. Verse 14 that we read proves that to us because God did this to the intent that he might bring evil upon Absalom. Let me tell you that in a few days Absalom's going to hang from a tree and the Hithophel's going to hang from a, from a rope. This whole thing was turned through this prayer. And I couldn't, I couldn't enforce enough the need of desperate prayer. The need of desperate prayer. In Psalm 3, he writes the same thing regarding this situation. 
He says, Arise, O Lord, and save me, O my God. Thou hast smitten my enemies on the cheekbone. Psalm 55 is written regarding this as well. O Lord, let death seize upon him, and let him go down quick to hell, for wickedness is in his dwelling. The God that brought this evil regime down, he brought it down through the desperate prayer of his servant of God. And my friend, he's going to bring evil regimes down through prayer. North Korea will come down. Iran will come down. Russia will come down. China will come down. The Palestinians that are touching, you can't touch the Lord's anointed, you know. The Palestinians that are touching the Lord's anointed and are sworn to drive them into the sea, they'll come down because God answers prayer and God's a covenant-keeping God. And the plague that's loose around us, let me tell you this very evening, this this, this virus that's sweeping the world and has the life and the wits scared out of men and women. God knows why it has come about. He knows why it has come. Do you know that God's cup of iniquity could be full? Do you know, my friend, in all the nine plagues, God sent all sorts of things Lice and frogs, and he turned the river into blood. Every one of them fell or rejected and mocked and turned against until God touched the flesh. And the tenth plague, he, he slew Earl, the firstborn of Egypt, and then he let them go. And could it be with all the tornadoes and all the fires and all the storms, and all the tragedies that have hit our nations and has hit our land, men mock and men laugh, but I'll tell you the laughing could be over. God touches the flesh. When God touches the firstborn and touches the children and touches in the homes and touches in the schools. And China said if it was military warfare, we could face it. And so they could, for they have 2,000 million men coming down to Armageddon. And so they could, but let me tell you, they can't face this. Because this is God. They can't handle this. It's God. I was reading the last, or hearing last night that Every minute in China, a child goes missing. Now, mothers and fathers, you hear this tonight. That every minute in China, a child goes missing. They can't go with one parent to supermarkets or shops. They have to keep them close and by the hand. There's predators all over the streets, and they're vanishing at that rate. And they're slaughtering them. Now, now this, this, this is truth. You put it up on your internet if you like. They're slaughtering them. And they're selling their organs to different parts of the world. 50 to 100,000 pounds apiece. And if you had a child dying with a liver problem, you would might pay it too. And God's going to judge. And God is judged. And dear only knows what the end it will be. We've got off the subject, but 
We're showing you here where this man cried unto God and God blew the whole thing upside down through one prayer of the servant of God. So keep praying and keep interceding and keep standing in the gap and keep believing for your family. For God can turn the whole thing round like that. So we see, we see his profile was exception. Now secondly, and this is the important part, his problem was internal. Ahithophel's problem was internal. What made this long-standing, steadfast, stalwart of a man turn so wickedly and so viciously against his master? There has to be an answer to that, and there is in the Bible. That friendship, that bond, that love, that sweet counsel, and that's the word it used. He says, we walked into the house of God in sweet counsel. That's the only time you'll get that phrase. Why did this man, this bond, this friendship, why did he turn into, a, into, into murder to destroy David? And I tell you that for a number of years, Ahithophel waited and watched for this moment. Do you know why? He had an unforgiven spirit that was burning in his heart. Now let me tell you what it was, and you can read it for yourself. Ahithophel's son, Eli, was one of the top soldiers in David's army. He had a beautiful daughter who was married to his closest friend and colleague, a mighty man in battle whose name was Uriah, the Hittite. Liam's daughter was Uriah's wife, Ahithophel's beautiful granddaughter and only granddaughter. Now let that sink in tonight. Bathsheba was his one and only granddaughter. David seduced her. He got her pregnant. The child died. He married her and killed his husband. Her husband denied it and lied for 13 months. If you had a son or a daughter or a granddaughter, in these circumstances, would you still laugh? Would you still join hands with the man that done it? Would you still sit round the table with him? Would you walk into the house of God and sweet counsel and break bread? If you would, you'd be a hypocrite. Down deep in Ahithophel's heart, he was infested with revenge and, 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 and envy. And I tell you, that's the seedbed for suicide. A seedbed for suicide. Fifty years, if God gives me and Pat to the end of May, we'll, uh, we'll be fifty years saved. You know what? I have seen it all. I've seen it all. I've seen a lot. Beyond and behind the handshakes and the smiles and the small talk. There lingers in the hearts of some of God's people bitterness. 
And your friend today could be your enemy tomorrow. I prove that. And maybe you have too. And when that moment presents itself, and God knows our heart is deceitful and above all desperately wicked, when that moment presents itself, there can spring out a root of bitterness that the Hebrews talks about in the Hebrew, a root of bitterness. In all our hearts, and I have seen it at church meetings, I've seen it at members' meetings, I've seen it where way down in the heart, something said, and then the attack comes. It's lying dormant there. There's an old, unforgiven spirit. And it's a recipe for disaster. And if you have anything in your heart or in your soul tonight, here, or anybody watching or listening to me, you get in way and confess it and get it put right. Because dear knows where it will end. You need to face it. You need to bring it to the Lord and you need the cleansing blood over it. Don't let it fester on. Don't let it linger on. Don't smile and shake hands and meet round the table till you get it right. We heard about that this morning. I wouldn't be too quick to say like some about Ahithophel. I wouldn't be too quick to say that he was a traitor or he was a Judas or he was an apostate or a deserter, as some do. Said of an old holiness preacher one time, no matter where you poked him, honey would come out. (laughs) Well, don't be trying to poke me because it'll not be honey, maybe it'll come out. Poke most of us and it'll not be honey that will come out. And the Lord pokes us sometimes to see what is inside. He poked Peter one day, and you know what came out? Oaths and curses. The old Samaritans poked John, the apostle of love, one day. You know what came out? He cried to God to send fire and burn them up. Old Jezebel poked Elijah. You know where he ran to the mountain and got down to die? God only knows what's in our hearts. His profile was exceptional. His problem was internal. There was a problem lingering and blistering and languishing down in the heart of Ahithophel, and he was watching for the moment to spring. Deadly. Deadly. And don't be too quick to accuse him now. A profile that was exceptional, a problem that was internal, a pride that was fatal. The oldest sin in the world in the book is pride. You heard about it this morning, the devil's number one weapon. Pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Proverbs 6 says there's seven things that are an abomination to the Lord. What heads the list? A proud look. Pride and arrogance do I hate. Can I tell you about this man? Revenge 
and rejection is in his heart and in his soul and their suicidal seeds. Fatal, if not dealt with. Now look at verse 23. This is the sad bit of this. This is the sad bit of this. He wasn't prepared to humble himself and pray and, and seek the Lord. He wasn't prepared to play a second fiddle. He can't bear to say that he was wrong. It's my way or no way. And so many of us are like that, you know, we're so headstrong and so stubborn. Verse 23, And when Ahithophel saw that his counsel was not followed, You see, friend, rejection is one of the most difficult things to take. It drives many men and women to despair, whether it's in marriage, whether it's in family, whether it's in a job, whether it's in a relationship. We don't like to be rejected, and some sitting in this meeting this night know all about it. How many suicides have there not been simply because of being rejected? I used to know a fine, decent, hard-working, pleasant, handsome man on the last job that I was in. And when he retired, he applied for a job. He was shortlisted. And he was turned down and he couldn't handle it and went and hung himself. I know of a young wife that was rejected by her husband did the same. Child that didn't get the right marks at university, the same. And on it goes. And rejection is a fearful thing. And none of us like it. And this man was rejected. His counsel was rejected. And he couldn't handle it. I tell you, we need to live in a way that no matter what is taken from us, that we can live without it. Do you want me to say that again? We need to live in a way no matter what is taken from us. As Christians, uh, believing in the sovereignty of God, we can live without it. You either rebel against it, you either rejoice, rebel against it, or resolve to it, or rejoice over it. You see, our Lord knew nothing about revenge. Not a thing. The lamb before shears is dumb, he opened not his mouth. But he knew everything about rejection. They hated him without a cause. He was despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Oh, he was rejected and nailed to an old wooden cross for our sins. He had no pride. He left his glory by and laid it in our clay. The lovely, eternal creator, the Son of God, became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Rebellion, rejection, 
and revenge brings us to verse 23, and I'll be done in five minutes and more. And when Ahithophel saw that his counsel was not followed, he saddled his ass and arose and got him home to his house, to the city. Now let me just bring that into modern terms. He was second in command. He was the king's counsellor. Today he would come out of Westminster. He would get into his top range Mercedes or Range Rover. Poor before. Maybe with his bodyguards. And they would drive him out into the country to Galo, where he went, where he was lived and where he died and where he was buried. And he either got out of that vehicle at his home with his red box and went into his home and into his house and into his study and got a pen out. What did he do? He set his house in order, premeditated. He couldn't handle it. He's going to end it. He'd done a very wise thing, but he'd done a very foolish thing. The wise thing that he did was a scriptural thing. For the scripture tells us to set our house in order. And I hope you have your house in order. Not only your not only your spiritual house, I hope tonight that you're saved. I hope tonight that you're ready to go to heaven. I hope tonight that your sins are forgiven. I hope you have set that in order long ago. And if you haven't set it in order tonight, remember how whenever Hezekiah was dying, God sent a message through the prophet Isaiah. And he said to Isaiah, set thine house in order. For thou shalt die and not live. Have you your house in order? It'll make it a lot easier for your wife. It'll make it a lot easier for your family. It'll make it a lot easier for your children. It'll make it a lot easier for the undertaker. It'll make it a lot easier for everybody. Have your house in order. Well, set it in order if you haven't. I had a mission in Derrigonley a mile down the road from where Pat lived in 1987 along with Alvin Mullen. And Roy Robinson, the chief of the police, he was up in Dungannon here. Roy wasn't long saved and we asked him to give his testimony. Portable hall outside the town. And he had such a testimony, Roy, and he worked with a man, I'll not name him, he worked with a building contractor. And when he worked with that building contractor, he took some stuff home that didn't belong to him. And anything that he'd done, Roy, that wasn't, I remember Roy when he was a wee child, he used to climb up into the lorry and come to the creamery with me. And he would have took stuff and done things that didn't belong to him, and he went back to every one of them. And he got saved. And he went to this man and he told him, he says, I'm, I'm giving my testimony in, in Derrick here in Bertie Johnson's mission and 
And do you want to tell you that I took this and that and here's the money for it and the fellow wouldn't take it and he started to cry. And he says, I'll go out to hear you. And I've never known that man and I knew that man from when I was a child who used to draw his milk. I never knew him ever to have any time for God or never in a meeting. In fact, I thought he was an atheist and maybe he was, I don't know. And I didn't know what had gone between Roy and him at all. And I got up to preach that night and he's sitting in the meeting in the portable hall. And the text that God had laid in my heart was that text. Set thine house in order. For thou shalt die and not live. And I'm not exaggerating when I say that man cried in that meeting. It was less than 12 months later, Alan Barkley and I was reversing out from the wee portable hall after getting things together to get going with the meetings. And reversing out and I turned on the six o'clock news and I heard of two men being murdered at the border. And because what they were, where they were coming from, I knew. And I remember saying to Alan, that's Willie. That's Willie. I'm glad I obeyed God that night and brought the word that he gave me. And I'm glad that I'm being God tonight and bringing the word that he gave me. Set thine house in order, for thou shalt die, maybe tonight. Where will you be? He got out with his red box and went into his office and got his pen out. Nobody knew a thing. He probably waved goodbye. There was no change in him whatsoever, probably. But down deep in the heart, he couldn't handle it. And God help him. And God help those like it. For sin is an awful business and pride is an awful business. And God help us. And he got a rope. And he hung himself. He was buried in the sepulchre of his father. No matter where they buried. Oh, what a promising career. What a great life. What power and potential that he had. And yet down deep in his heart, he's saying, what's in your heart tonight? I pray tonight If anybody's listening to me tonight and there's even a thought in your mind about taking your life, stop it. Hold on a minute now. If there's a seed of thought in your dear mind tonight, don't do it. You wouldn't murder somebody else. And why should you murder yourself? Oh, but you don't understand. No, I don't. And I'm not talking tonight about people with psychiatric needs. And I'm not talking. I'm talking about a man like this. Don't do it. Stand back a minute. 
Think of your wife and think of your children and think of your home and think of your soul. Think of your soul. Don't self-destruct, young man. One minute and you're out into eternity. They say it's the way out. It's not the way out. If you're not saved, it's the way into hell. Now let's be truthful about this. It's the way into hell. And throughout the countless ages of eternity, you will wish you took heed to this message tonight. Remember the jailer? He was about to do it. Supposing that the prisoners had fled, he took a sword and he was going to fall on it. He was going to cut his life. And he was almost there. He was, he was close to there because the, the lights were out and it was dark and he didn't know what was going to happen. He was going to end his life. And Paul says, do thyself no harm. Don't do yourself any harm, son. Don't do yourself any harm. Don't do yourself any harm. We're all here. We'll help you. We'll stand with you. We'll pray with you. And above all, listen, what will I do? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved and thy house. I don't know what this man left behind. I don't know that Bathsheba turn on David. Now look at what you've done. I lost my grandfather. I don't know what was the repercussion, but I'll tell you the repercussions from every one of them. And there's sad homes tonight and broken hearts tonight that cannot understand or explain. But I tell you there's a way out. And if this message will reach one tonight, I'll thank God throughout eternity. Come now, let us reason together. Flee away to the cross at Calvary where Jesus died and bled for your sins. He loves you tonight with an everlasting love. He died for you that you might not die yourself, but that you might come to him and enter into the plan of God for your life. Don't you be trying to run your life. Let God rule your life. Young man, he has a plan for you, and young woman, he has a plan for you, no matter how tough things are, how bad things are, no matter how things are at school, and university, or at home, or in the family, remember they'll pass. And there's a better day coming. And I can prove that tonight while I sat on the shores of Loch Aaron contemplating that I can say that tonight. There's a better day. There's a God in heaven. He'll save you tonight if you'll come. Do thyself no harm. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Let us pray. Don't harbor something in your heart tonight. Don't let it destroy you. Maybe your mother or your father or nobody knows anything about what's going on in your heart. 
Well, listen, I'll be here. And if you want to go around the side and come around or call with me or talk to me, don't be afraid. I'll help you any way I can. Father, we just thank you tonight for answering prayer and giving help. Lord, if there's anything that's been said that's hurtful or wounding, dear people, tonight it's not my intention. But, oh God, I thank you for the love of God that can reach sinners. We don't have to go the way of this man. Help us, Lord, to humble ourselves at thy feet and whether we're agreed with or whether we're liked or whether we're rejected or not, it doesn't matter. You love us. And you love us with an everlasting love and we thank you that you'll bring us all the way to glory. And so, Lord, we ask tonight that you'll take this word and bury it deep in the hearts of men and women, boys and girls for eternity. For Jesus' sake. Amen.